The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. Our guest today is Martin Reddy, who is the co-founder and CTO at Pullstring. Hi, Martin. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, welcome, Martin, and thanks for joining us. So we'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and your current role at Pullstring. Sure. So you just heard my name is Martin. My background is computer science. I have a PhD in computer science. I've written a couple of books on computer graphics and software design. I was at the Artificial Intelligence Center at SRI International for about five years. And then after that, I was at Pixar for about six years, where I led the development of the internal filmmaking software there. Although more importantly, I was known as the hair model for Mr. Incredible while I was there. So my, that's my main claim to fame. In terms of Pulsing, so I co-founded the company along with Oren Jacob, our CEO. That was back in 2011. And as you heard, my role is CTO, so Chief Technical Officer. So I'm basically concerned with all aspects of our technology and our tool development. Great. Oh, great. So at Polestring, I know you make it easy for companies and those that may not have the technical capabilities to create voice-enabled skills. So can you talk a little bit about what some of the challenges of generating reasonable and on-topic responses are to our audience? Yeah, definitely. And I think there's really two things there. There's empowering non-technical users. And then there's also how do you have a computer generate good responses? But they're also definitely related. So in terms of the latter, in terms of creating great you know, on-topic responses, Responses. This is hard for many reasons. Like we need to understand context of the conversation. We need to have a memory of previous interactions. We need to deal with the inherent ambiguities of language and also generate language that actually makes sense. And doing that just for like a one-line response is already pretty hard. But conversation is a, is a kind of you know fluid, multi-turn experience. And so having the computer do that is even more difficult. And kind of what you see is a lot of the focus of conversational AI in recent years has been around voice assistants. So, you know, your Alexa, your Google Assistant, your Siri. And what they tend to look like is a very broad set of topics that can be talked about to a pretty shallow level normally. So, you know, what's the temperature in San Francisco? And you, know, you get a response, temperature is whatever degrees. And you kind of don't need a lot of complexity to create those kinds of responses. But if you're trying to create a deep, multi-turn conversation, that's where the real challenges lie. And computers just aren't very good at doing that today. And it's worth kind of noting that when you interact with Siri or Alexa or Google Assistant and you hear the responses back again, there's a person who wrote those responses. These aren't being magically formed by the computer. And, you know, there's, there's a question of whether these could be generated automatically by the computer. But there's also a question of should we try to solve that all programmatically? Because if we do that, we're basically creating a general character that's a rehash of lots of other conversations. But different brands and companies out there, they're going to want to have their own voice, their own personality. Coke doesn't want to sound like Pepsi and Pepsi doesn't want to sound like Coke. So if you just have kind of an amalgam personality, that's not representing your brand. And in fact, you know, if uh, Google is making that character, it's actually Google's character. Or if it's Alexa, then it's Amazon's character. And I think you know, a lot of brands will want to express their own voice and personality. So 
if you believe all of that, then I think it's important to actually have a human in the loop to, to solve this. And that's a lot of what we focus on at Pulsing is providing tools for people to create these conversations. And it's important that we have tools because we believe that it's not people like me, engineers, who are writing this because I don't know anything about you know character arc or story arc. But there are people who are really good at this, but they're also not engineers. So we have to put great tools into their hands so that they can create the dialogue and the multi-turn conversations that allow you to build really great personalities in these voice experiences. So... Machine learning, and in particular deep learning, has been getting a lot of attention lately. But this isn't always the best method when you want to build conversational AI. For example, you might be able to use pattern matching or rule-based solutions that would work better in certain situations. So can you explain your perspective on different machine learning approaches? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, machine learning is a fantastic tool that lets us solve problems that have been really difficult in the past. And kind of as a result, many people have started to state that AI and machine learning are synonymous terms, that they basically mean the same thing. And what that's basically saying is that machine learning is going to solve all of AI problems to come and the past 60 years of problem solving don't matter. And I don't particularly subscribe to that myself, but maybe to recap a little bit, and I'm sure all of your listeners have a pretty decent understanding of what machine learning is, but just to recap you know, quickly. So machine learning basically lets you take some set of inputs and map it to some output. That's fundamentally what it does. And so you've had folk like Judah Pearl say that it kind of equates to curve fitting. Other folk at Google kind of talking about it's a thing labeler or classifiers is a common use for machine learning. So if you take, you know, optical character recognition, you can take a bunch of images and you can map them to the digits zero to nine. And in order to do that, you need lots and lots of images and you need to know what's in those images. Luckily for optical character recognition, we have pretty massive databases of that. And one of the very cool things is that instead of writing lots of rules to define what a digit is, you can just give the computer a lot of examples with training of, you know, here's the solution in these cases. But then it can figure out cases that it hasn't seen before. And that's pretty amazing because in the past, we're trying to build, you know, what is a model of a nine? A nine is kind of a circle with this little bit kind of hanging down for it. And so we're going to write, you know, image processing things to try and find circles and lines and see if they're connected. That's pretty hard, but it's a lot easier just to give the computer a whole bunch of examples and have it figure out a model itself. So that maps well to a bunch of problems that can be generalized through the collection of a lot of labeled data. So optical character recognition would be one. Speed recognition would be another, where you can take audio and map it to phonemes or words. Facial recognition, object recognition. So Andrew Ng's original work at Google Brain that kind of created their research in machine learning a few years back was all around identifying cats in YouTube. So these are all problems that are very well expressed for a machine learning solution, but there are many that I think don't map necessarily as well. And so in terms of conversational AI, there's kind of two main parts. There's the natural language understanding, and then there's the natural language generation. So the first part, natural language understanding, that's worked pretty well for machine learning tasks. So things like speech recognition, things like intent resolution. So taking that text hypothesis for what the user said and then mapping it to a higher level intent. Machine learning is pretty much used almost exclusively for that these days. But the other side is natural language generation. How does the computer respond when it understands? And that's a lot more difficult to do with straight kind of machine learning. And a lot of the reasons are because there's context, there's states, there's complex conversational flows, there's logic. 
So for example, context, if the user asks, what do you recommend, then how do you respond? There's no way you can answer that question unless you know what was talked about previously, unless you actually know the context. Was I talking about buying a pizza or am I talking about shoes or TV shows? So context is critical in being able to actually answer that question. And then state, so remembering previous interactions and personalizing your response for users. So if the computer says, hey, let's go with the red one because that's your favorite color, that indicates that we've had a previous discussion, I've learned your favorite color, and I can you know, use that in future conversations. And then there's just complex conversational flows. You know, when we talk, we don't just start on one topic, go all the way through that topic, start a new topic. We may have interjections into kind of sub-conversations. So if you're ordering a pizza and the voice assistant asks, what size pizza do you want? You should be able to ask, hey, do you guys sell sodas as well? And it shouldn't just say, I'm sorry, say, you know, small, medium, or large. It should take you on to that part of the conversation and say, yeah, we sell these sodas. Would you like me to add them to your cart? Yes, great. Okay. Now, we were talking about pizza size. Which size pizza would you like? And take you back to that. That's a very, you know, complex fluid kind of flow of conversation. And then there's also just logic. Like if you were to ask, what's the temperature in San Francisco? You don't want a machine learned answer to what is the general thing that was said when someone asked that question. You want what is the actual temperature? So you want, you know, code to run that talks to Weather Underground or some other API and returns you the actual temperature. So all of these are kind of problems that don't necessarily map as well to machine learning. And certainly many of the, the larger, longer term problems of AI are still out there, like abstract reasoning and self-learning. So I think it's actually dangerous to say that AI and machine learning are the same thing because it can limit our view of what the problems that need to be solved are and maybe stunt the growth of what we're doing in terms of these other areas like natural language generation. So uh -huh. I think it's important to say machine learning is a subset of AI, a very important subset, but the field as a whole you know, needs to include this technique. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, this is something we talk about quite a bit in our research. We actually have two of our most popular pieces of research the writing, not only that have been in our newsletter, but have been syndicated at CTO Vision and Cognitive World, is the fact that not all AI is machine learning and not all machine learning is AI. That latter one actually got a lot of attention. You're like, what do you mean not machine learning is not AI? I'm like, well, if you look at how some people are using machine learning, if they're using it as some sort of statistical predictive analysis, they're not intending to do any sort of intelligence on top of it. So it's kind of interesting. We have a couple podcasts on the subject too. So for our listeners, you should definitely go back and listen to that. So I think we're all on the same page here. And I think you said some really interesting things that, you know, and we agree that machine learning and deep learning has really accelerated the technology for speech recognition and all these things to which devices can be trained. But you can't train a device on like all the infinite possibilities of conversations, right? So you can't just be like, oh, I recognize that pattern. I'm like, well, how many times has that sentence ever been uttered in the world? And so I think these guided conversations are really interesting. And so following up on that, you know, we actually recently published a voice assistant benchmark where we actually spent some time talking to Google and Alexa and Siri and Cortana and asking them what we thought were fairly rudimentary questions that were testing their intelligence. Of course, it's no surprise that they did not do very well. <laughs> These devices are not inherently intelligent, as smart as people think they are. And I think really the challenge is like figuring out how these voice systems should respond in different situations. So can you provide some insight into the challenge of, you know, responding intelligently? I think you talked about, you know, going deeper and not necessarily broader, solving that part of the problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty interesting that, you know, we as humans have this assumption that because the machine is pretty good at understanding us, that it must also therefore be good at replying to us. But in reality, that's a very different and also a very difficult problem. And it's funny because I've seen this in other places. So, you know, I was at Pixar for many years and I remember actually giving a tour to a group of people and, you know, I'm showing them around the studio. 
And someone asked how many employees there were. And I said there was at that time about close to 1,000 employees. And they asked, well, what do all those people do? Because the computer builds all the film for you. And, you know, that was pretty funny to hear that because building those films is a lot of effort over like three or four years of your life. And to think that the computer just does it automatically was kind of funny that people think that. But I think that is the same with these voice assistants as well, is that we kind of imbue these things with perhaps more intelligence than there is there. And then when it doesn't actually perform that way, then we're kind of surprised. And I like to try and put it into perspective a little bit by talking about the evolution of app development over the years. Like we've had desktop applications, we've had web applications, mobile applications, and you know, many people think that voice applications are kind of the next evolution along that path. And you know, for desktop, web, or mobile apps, if you want to build a mobile app, then there's a developer who's going to write code and logic. And if you want it to look good, there's a designer who's going to figure out the UI and the imagery and the user experience. So why is it when it comes to a voice app that we think that the computer can somehow magically do all that itself? Like, that's all a voice app is, is it's, you know, a web or mobile app in a different form. So computers haven't instantaneously figured out how to magically create logic and how to, you know, design creative tasks itself. So in terms of some of the challenges, I think it's there are a lot larger challenges in the conversational world than there is a graphical world. So for example, you have a mobile device, there are several buttons on the screen. You're pretty much constrained to, you can click on those buttons or you can interact with those UI widgets in some way. But with a voice experience, you can say anything at any point in time. And that's really what makes it really complex. Like if you stick to the path that a voice assistant is trying to take you down, probably works pretty well. But if you say something that's unexpected, that's where things really start to go off the rails. And that's a kind of a part of the, you have conversations that can go really broad and can go very deep. And that's something that really is very hard to do today. And I think it's one of the big challenges of conversational AI. So yeah, I think that's one of the big things we need to still figure out is that part. Yeah, we've definitely seen that as well. And this is not an easy task. And we know that this takes a lot of time. So I'm happy that a lot of people are looking into this. Another area that a lot of people always create a lot of fear is when we talk about AI and jobs. And so at Cognolytica, we say that AI provides creative destruction with regards to jobs, meaning that some job categories may disappear, but new ones will be created. And this has happened throughout history. So right now, we're seeing new jobs appear, such as conversational designer or writer or a VUI designer. So what do you see as the future of jobs in the voice area? Yeah, I mean, I think you're very correct to note, you know, technology has changed our lives since all the way back to the Industrial Revolution, and that's going to continue to happen. But I think in terms of conversational AI in particular, it brings out a lot of potential to be additive to the jobs market. So, you know, I, I talked about that, you know, we had desktop apps and web apps and mobile apps, and now there's voice apps. I don't think that voice apps are going to displace anything mobile or web, just like, you know, mobile didn't displace desktop or web development. These are additive experiences. These are new channels that you can interact with people. So I think this opens up the opportunity for new jobs. And so there's obviously jobs there for, for software engineers to write some of the underlying code for these experiences. That probably doesn't change too much. But I think there's a whole set of new roles for people who are writing this content. And it's kind of what I kind of mentioned earlier is we really, I think, need that creative vision to be able to define the voice and personality of these voice apps. Again, you know, Coke doesn't want to sound like Pepsi or vice versa. So you need people who can actually do that. And I think that with the appropriate tools given to them, this opens up 
new jobs that really weren't there before. And so we call them things like conversational designers or, you know, VUI designers. But you can think about it as, you know, giving jobs to poets or out-of-work script writers who didn't have other opportunities before. These are new opportunities that are being opened up now. Also for sound engineers, you know, building out the soundscapes of these experiences. These are audio experiences and sound engineers are critical to making really great experiences in these voice interactions. It's not just voice, there's the background soundscape as well. I think we're actually seeing this happening, that there's a lot of digital agencies now that are building out these capabilities of creating voice applications, and they have folk who are actually creating this content. So, you know, we work with folk like Xandra, 360i, AKQA, and these are agencies that are trying to create these voice experiences and have creative writers that are producing that content. So, yeah, I think that's why having great tools is really important, just like you wanted Photoshop for artists or, you know, Unity for game developers. Having great tools to enable this kind of new section of jobs to open up, I think, is very important. Great. This has been really very insightful. And we've talked a lot about kind of where things are at in conversational technology in particular. And we did talk a bit about AI and machine learning. So we'd love to get your thoughts on this. You know, as a final note, you know, what do you believe the future of AI is in general and its application to corporations and beyond? Yeah, good question. I mean, there's certainly a lot of fatalistic views of where AI can take us. I sometimes find it amusing that there seems to be only one plot line in any AI movie, that AI becomes self-aware, decides to destroy the human race. But I guess, you know, the alternative plot line of AI becomes a helpful tool for humanity and lets us work together with technology more efficiently doesn't really sell many books or movie tickets. But that's basically my kind of view of AI and where it should go, where I'd love it to go, is just that, that these are intelligent tools that help us solve everyday problems and make life more easy for us. And so I kind of think about it more from the point of view of like the computer on Starship Enterprise. That was a pretty amazing piece of technology. It could understand you and could perform pretty much any task that you asked it. But I don't think it ever tried to destroy humanity, or at least I I maybe missed that episode if it did. But certainly one of the big things I really love about conversational AI is that it lets us interact with computers using our own language, not theirs. So I can talk to technology using you know English, French, Spanish, or whatever, but not C++ or Python or JavaScript. And that's pretty huge, I think. That's something that's never really happened before. And there's many segments of the population who find it complex or confusing to interact with technology. But if they can interact with computers by simply talking normally, then I think that opens up a lot of new doors for them. And I think that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it sounds great. Well, this has been very insightful, and I think our listeners got a lot of value out of this. So really, Martin, wanted to thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. We really appreciate you participating. Thank you, Ron, and thank you, Kathleen, as well. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. And listeners, as always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Fiverr.com. Fiverr is a marketplace for creative and digital freelance services. And in fact, I use Fiverr for quite a lot of the things that we do here at Cognolytica and AI Today, including the editing of this podcast, the generation of transcripts, and more. I definitely encourage you to take a look at using Fiverr for your creative and digital needs today. And I have a special offer for you today. Use the promo code AI Today for 15% off your first purchase on Fiverr.com. Offer valid until December 31st, 2018. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group and make sure to join the Cognolitica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts.
Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright 2018 by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.